Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Well, if you're visiting today, um, church has been a little bit different so far. You're probably thinking, where is the music? Um, We don't have any music here this morning because we're talking about worship. It's ironic, isn't it? But guess what? You're going to get an opportunity in a minute to sing with me. So that'll be good. Uh, It's kind of like accompanying an angel. Um, So it's a real great privilege. I didn't have that in my notes, but it's just come out spontaneously by the work of the Spirit. But if you've been in church for a long time, you'll know that the songs we sing have changed a lot over the years. If you're really old, you probably remember an era when we only sang old hymns. Uh, Hymns are generally... Uh, Songs that have beautiful words, um, a real richness and and depth to the lyrics in hymns, but they're usually a little bit slower and they're usually done just with an organ. Uh, We don't have any organ here. We're a little bit more modern than that here at Follow. But if you are a little bit older today, you might remember some of those old songs. You might remember one that was written all the way back in 1933. Does anyone remember that day when this was written? My dad remembers this. Um, It was called He Lives, the first song. Um, Do you remember this song? Anyone know this song, He Lives? All right, well, join with me. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how we know he lives. He lives within my Wow, that was, that was so much better than what I was expecting. Usually when I start to sing, you don't join me, and it's probably because you don't recognise the tune, but I'm really grateful. You might not remember back to 1933, but you might remember about 20 years later. In fact, this is a song you will all know, written by Stuart K. Hine in 1953, called How Great Thou Art. You all know this song? We all know this one? My God... When I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Saviour God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Saviour God, to Thee. How great Thou art. How great thou art. Paul and Jen, I told you I'd be a worship leader. The day has come. Always wanted to conduct too, so it's kind of therapeutic doing that. I didn't grow up in the 30s or the 50s, but I did grow up in the 80s. And there was a song in the 80s that you might remember. It was called Joy is the Flag. Do you remember this song? I absolutely hate hankies. I think they're disgusting, but I bought one today because you need it for this song. (laughs) Locked and loaded, ready to go. All right, are we ready? Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart, from the castle of my heart, from the castle of my heart. Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart when the king is in residence there. So let it fly in the sky, let the whole world know, let the whole world know, let the whole world know. So let it fly in the sky, let the whole world know, that the king is in residence there. Wow. Very good. It was a great song, but everyone went home with the flu. After all the hanky waving and snot going everywhere was not ideal. But the Christian music scene changed forever in the 90s. In 1993, when Darlene Check wrote a song called Shout to the Lord, which put a little church called Hillsong on the map. And you might remember the song, but I remember at Mentone Baptist, we used to do this thing called SOS, which stood for Sing on Sunday. And once a month after a PM service, 
we would go to someone's lounge room and we'd sit around absolutely packed into a lounge room and we'd eat food and we'd sing songs. And I remember we had the brown chorus book. That was all the old school songs. And then we had the super duper modern white chorus song, chorus song book. And in that song book, number 53, because I remember it, we did it every single week for years, was Shout to the Lord. Let's sing it together. Shout to the Lord, all the earth let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I'll sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. My voice sounds amazing, but when I listen back to this on the podcast, I'm really worried about what it's going to sound like. <laughs> Shout to the Lord was a huge song uh, in the 90s. Uh, let's fast forward to the first day of Follow. We sang a song called My Lighthouse. We sang it so much for the first couple of months, we'll probably never sing it again. But today, for the sake of this exercise, does anyone remember this song? No? This could be just me then. <laughs> Burnt it out of your memory. All right, are we ready? Paul, lead us off. My lighthouse, my lighthouse, shining in the darkness, I will follow you. Oh, my lighthouse, my lighthouse. I will trust the promise. You will carry me safe to shore. Whoa, safe to shore. Whoa, safe to shore. Okay, safe to shore. Well done. Excellent. Give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you so much for not leaving here, hanging, leaving me here hanging by myself. That's really kind of you, but if you recognise any of those tunes, and you probably don't from my slightly out of tune voice, I say slightly out of tune because we err on the side of grace here at Follow, <laughs> but if you recognise any of those songs, you'll see that music styles have changed over the years, and no doubt will continue to change into the future. But what doesn't change is that worship is a key part of our lives. Today's week eight of our value series here at Follow, and we are looking today at the value of worship. And so over nine weeks, we're exploring different values that we hold dear as a church. And these are the values, really, that shape our culture as we seek to follow Jesus together. And so as I said a moment ago, today we've arrived at the value of worship. And on our website, it says this on the values page about worship. It says, everyone worships something. We choose Jesus. Worship is who we are and expressed in what we do. We will be extravagant and creative in our praise and live out our worship in every circumstance. Most of us would know that worship is not just the music we sing or the time we gather on a Sunday morning. Louis Giglio says it like this. He says that worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and do. What God has revealed to us about himself is beyond our words of gratitude. What he has done on our behalf makes it impossible to ever repay him. But what we can do in return and must do is give him everything we have through a life of service to him and to those around us. If you're a Christian here today, you'll know what it is like to experience the blessing of a relationship with God. Because of the death and resurrection of his son Jesus, who gave his life for you and for me so that we could be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life through him. You also know that it's God the Father who himself willingly sent his son to die in our place so that we could come back into relationship with him even though we don't deserve it. We were out of relationship in the first place because of our own sin and yet Jesus brings us back through his sacrificial death and resurrection at the cross. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's what we call amazing grace. And when we consider his amazing grace, it becomes very evident that we have enough ammunition to worship him for our entire lives, not just every Sunday, not just every day, but every moment of every day, not just in this life, but for all eternity, we could never repay him for all that he has given for us. 
And so the only appropriate response we have is one of worship. Worship is not just the music we sing on a Sunday, but it's everything we do with our lives. Our worship is expressed in the decisions that we make. It's expressed in the words that we use. It's expressed in the love that we show to both God and to one another. It's expressed in our generosity with money, the values we teach when raising our kids. It's the character and the fruit of our daily lives. Everything we do that brings glory to God is part of our worship to Him. Now often in churches we talk about our worship team, don't we? We know here that our worship team is our music ministry team. And it's one way that we praise and worship our God. But it's not the only way. And so this morning, those who are serving in our kids' ministry or those that cook meals during the week for people in our community or those that serve on the food van or the breakfast club, like reaching out to our local community, or those this morning on the welcome team or the hospitality team or the set-up, pack-up team, are no less participating in worship when they use their abilities, their passions, and their time to honour God than those who sing on our worship team. All these things, when done to bring glory to God, are an act of our devotion and worship to Him. But for the purpose of today's message, we're going to focus on our expression of worship and praise when we gather together corporately to express our hearts to Him in song. Over the years, we've created pigeonholes for different expressions of praise and worship. We talk about our charismatic or Pentecostal friends and the pigeonhole that we have for them is that they are loud and energetic and demonstrative and they worship in dark rooms with smoke machines. (laughs) And they're expressive people. They're people who lift their hands and they lift their voices and we know them as the happy clappers, right? And some people just aren't comfortable with that at all. On the other end of the spectrum, we have another style of worship that's no less valid but very different, and it's more contemplative worship. And people who worship in this way are a lot quieter. They tend to bow their heads in reverence. They are quiet as they reflect on the goodness of God, and that is their expression of worship. Well, for us as Baptists, we're probably somewhere in the middle of that, aren't we? We're not really known for our expressive worship. We're not typically known for that. We tend to be a bit conservative in our praise and... We really can't make up our minds whether we should give God a clap at the end of each song, can we? Like sometimes we, yay, praise the Lord. Other times we're like, okay. Sometimes you've got the lone clap. I know Paul's a lone clap, but sometimes he's trying to encourage you. So he's like, and he's like, and the rest of us are like, we we, we want to, but we're Baptists. Shared a few weeks ago, growing up in a conservative Baptist church, that we were very sceptical of the happy clappers. And when someone came into our midst, a charismatic person from time to time would come in and we'd all be sitting there doing the Baptist style of worship, and they would lift their hands. And you could feel everyone in the room freeze. It's kind of like they freeze. I'm not going to look to the left or the right, but we have a happy clapper with us this morning. We were so scared, we thought maybe it was contagious, that if I look at them, suddenly my hands will go like that and I'll never be able to reverse it again. You know, we were worried. It was like a lion had walked into our bedroom. We, we didn't know what was going to happen, but we were terrified about this person that just walked into our midst. But after leaving the Baptist church, I went to a Pentecostal church and I found that it was the exact opposite. Everyone seemed to lift their hands. Everyone was expressive in worship. And if someone walked in and they didn't do that, we thought they were weird or they needed the Holy Spirit, you know. And so... We found these two extremes in the churches that we have worshipped in. Just this week, a friend of mine from the Pentecostal church sent me this on my Facebook wall. He says that I'm a Baptocostal. (laughs) Someone who rebukes the devil, claims the blood of Jesus, renounces the power of darkness, and celebrates a victory with a potluck. (laughs) We're known as hospitable people, aren't we, Baptists? So I'm sure that's what he was saying. But it's a bit of fun. what I've noticed over the years is that we're very quick to categorise different styles of worship. And sometimes I wonder if these terms or these pigeonholes are actually helpful at all. For me, I'm very grateful to have had a wide range of different experiences. As I said, I grew up in a Baptist church. I studied at both an Anglican and a Pentecostal Bible college. I spent six years on staff at a charismatic church and was there for a decade. And I've been back serving in the Baptist church for around seven years. And so I've experienced a wide range of different styles and expressions of worship. In fact, if I was a dog breed, you would say I'm a mongrel. I'm a bitzer. 
I've got bits and pieces in my life that have shaped me to become the person I am and to worship in the way that I worship. And so people, when we were planning follow, used to say to me, what do you see it being like? What's the vision? What do you visualise? And I always said that I thought we'd be a church that's conservative in theology, but liberal in expression. Conservative in theology and liberal in expression. In other words, while I'm here pastoring at this church, we're always going to love this book. We always want to stand on the Word of God. It's living and active. It will change our life. That will never change. We're going to be people who love the Word of God. We're going to worship in spirit and in truth. But at the same time, we're going to be expressive and liberal and passionate when it comes to worshipping our God. And so when it comes to praise and worship, I want to encourage you today to break out of the pigeonhole. Let's not pigeonhole ourselves. Let's not just conform to a stereotype. Let's be passionate and heartfelt in our praise. Because I don't know about you, but one day when I stand before the throne of Jesus, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And if he says, well done, good and faithful servant, but you overdid the praise thing a little bit, I'm going to be okay with that. But if I stand before him and he said, hey, why did you withhold your praise from me? I'm going to be a little bit more concerned about that. I'd rather he say that we overdid it than undervalued it when it comes to worship. There'll be a church that worship with passion. When I left the Pentecostal church, I ended up back at a Baptist church on staff. And after about three months of commencing in the role, one day after a service, I was standing at one of the urinals in the men's room when one of the young adults walked in. He was a very conservative young adult, and he would see himself as a word man. And he walked in, and after that awkward moment that you'd only truly understand if you're a male, he broke the silence with a statement. And the statement was this, I'm not that happy that you're here. And I thought, well, it's a bit harsh. When you've got to go, you've got to go. I mean, I can't help it. Then it dawned on me he wasn't talking about the men's room. He was talking about his displeasure at me being on staff at his church. And I thought, this is an interesting place to bring it up, but, but go on. Why is that? And he said, because you're trying to turn us into a Pentecostal church. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you lift your hands during the songs. I said, don't lift your hands. Concentrate on what you're doing. <laughs> he said, you lift your hands during the songs. So you want to make us Pentecostal? And I said, oh, you mean Biblical. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know your Bible, so you know that it talks about lifting holy hands to God in praise and in worship. Well, that moment, it went very silent. He finished up and he quickly left the room. I don't think he even washed his hands, so it's probably a good thing (laughs) that he never lifts them. Probably a good thing he never lifts them in church. It's great. But when I resigned from the Pentecostal church I was serving at, I was speaking to my granddad about it, and he said to me, I told him I was thinking about going into the Baptist world, and he said to me, well... Son, you're going to have to go to the Baptist Union. You're going to have to convince them you're a Baptist. I don't think he was ever that happy about me being in a Pentecostal church. He was pretty thrilled because he's a staunch Baptist about me coming back into a Baptist church. And he said, you're going to have to go to the BUV and convince them you're a Baptist. And I said, well, I won't be doing that. And he said, why not? And I said, well, I'm not a Baptist. I think he was horrified. He said, well, what are you then? I said, well, mongrel. No, I didn't say that. I said, I'm not a Baptist. I'm a follower of Jesus. And whether I serve him in a Baptist church or a Pentecostal church or an Anglican church or a home church, I'm always going to be a follower of Jesus. And so I want to say to you this morning that you may be at a Baptist church, but that will never be your primary definer as a person. You are first and foremost a follower of Jesus, hence the name follow Baptist church. We are followers first and foremost of him. So the question this morning is this, how do we truly honour and worship God in our gatherings when it comes to music and song? Well, to answer that question, we're going to explore the question by briefly looking at seven Hebrew words in the Old Testament that are used to describe different elements of our praise and worship. And to do that, I'm going to invite forward some helpers from the music team. And so let's welcome Paul and Jen and the team to come up this morning. As they're coming up, let me tell you a little bit about the English language. Many of us would be aware that the English language, while it's familiar to us, lacks an expression when compared to many other languages in the world. For example, when we're trying to describe love, we have one word for love. What is it? Love. That's as expressive as it gets. You probably know by now, I think I've mentioned it recently, that I love crunchy peanut butter on my raisin toast. I mean, I really love crunchy peanut butter on my raisin toast. And it's been great on social media this week to see a whole bunch of converts. It's been awesome. So congratulations. And some people we need to keep praying for as well. But 
I love crunchy raisin toast, uh, raisin toast with crunchy peanut butter, but at the same time, I love my kids. Do I love them at the same level? Well, it depends on what day you ask me, but most of the time, I love my kids a lot more than I love raisin toast with crunchy peanut butter, even though I really love raisin toast with crunchy peanut butter. And so when it comes to the word love, we're not very expressive in the words we use to describe it. But in the Greek language, there's a whole bunch of different words. And so if you talk about eros love, it means that romantic kind of love that describes sexual passion. If you talk about philia love, it describes deep friendship. If you talk about ludus love, it's playful, flirtatious kind of love. If you talk about storage love, try that with your wife this week. I storage you. It doesn't sound that great, does it? It doesn't sound as good as love. But storage love is that sympathetic kind of a love. Philosia love is self-love. Pragma love is committed, long-standing companionship love. And of course, agape love is unconditional, self-sacrificial love that comes from God himself. God is love. He is agape. And when it flows from him and it flows to others, we express the love of God through agape love. So I'm probably not going to agape my raisin toast. But I may agape my wife by living self-sacrificial life towards her. In the Greek language, it's easy to know the kind of love we're talking about because it's reflected in a wide range of words. For us, we just love, and that's an all-encompassing term. And it's very similar when it comes to praise and worship. In the English language, we just use those two words interchangeably, praise and worship. And in church, praise is the fast songs at the start of the service, right? We say they're upbeat, we get, it, get going to the praise songs, and then during the middle of the service, we have the worship songs because they're a little bit slower. And so that's how we look at praise and worship. When the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, there are seven primary words used which are all translated in the English as praise. About 10 years ago, I heard a sermon about these words, and for me it was a very powerful sermon. And it wasn't until recently that I read a book, um, this book here called Holy Raw by Chris Tomlin and Darren Whitehead, that I was reminded of these words, these seven Hebrew words. And so we're going to talk about them this morning. Today I want to explore these words because I think they're helpful to describe the kind of worship that God expects from his people. So the first word that we talk about today is the word halal. It means to boast, to rave, to shine, to celebrate. Listen to this bit. To be clamorously foolish. Yes, yes I, knew you'd like, I knew you'd like this one, Karen. Karen is a halal worshipper here at church, and she does a great job of it. In 2 Samuel 6, we read about a battle between the Israelites, God's people, and their enemies, the Philistines. This particular battle ended up in a great victory for God's people. As part of the victory, they reclaimed the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God with them. And they brought it back into Jerusalem. This was a momentous occasion. It was a wonderful victory that was won by David. And we see that he was in celebration mode. Let's read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14. It says, Wearing a linen ephod, which is really not much at all, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and with the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David, her husband, leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. One of the things I love about King David is he was a wonderful warrior, but at an even more foundational level, he was a worshipper. He loved to worship God, his king. This morning I want to talk about this guy David because he didn't care what anyone else thought when it came to worshipping God, not even his own wife, not the people around him. For him, even if he looked foolish, he was going to worship God with all of his might. 
and he would sing and dance and praise God with everything within him. It's like it just had to come out. It just overflowed from who he was out of gratitude that he had for his God. He was a wonderful worshipper. This morning, let me talk to the men for a moment. Because I feel that in our culture, sometimes the men put more focus on the warrior part than they do on the worshipper part. We're happy to be, you know, big tough men, big strong men and let our wives and our children and our families do the expressive part because perhaps that's not cool for us as blokes. But I want to say this morning that true God-honouring men are both warriors. They stand for truth. They protect their families. They love and serve their wives self-sacrificially. But at the same time, they are worshippers. And part of our role as men is to help shape the spiritual temperature of both our homes and the house of God. Halal praise may look clamorously foolish, but it is biblical and it honours God. Psalm 149 verse 3 says, Let them praise, let them halal his name with dancing and make music to him with the timbrel and harp. Has anyone here ever been to a Lebanese wedding? A couple of people. I've been to a couple of them and let me tell you, they are so much fun. They are so expressive. They, they put our Aussie weddings under a table somewhere. These Lebanese weddings are just absolutely incredible. And there's nothing conservative uh, about a Lebanese wedding. In fact, it's the exact opposite than that. Lebanese weddings, they are extravagant. I mean, every relative and person they've ever met gets invited for a start. And so you're literally with thousands of people at a Lebanese wedding. And man, is it extravagant. It's like a party. There is abundance of great food. There's plenty of drink. When it comes to dan- dancing, they put us Aussies to shame. It's like a festival. And when it comes to the dancing, they all gather around in a huge circle, and a massive circle. And in the middle is this Lebanese drummer. And he has this drum that's probably bigger than him, and he sort of hooks it over his neck, and he has a drum, and he starts playing the drum, but he dances at the same time. So he's like... And he's going around and it's this Arabic kind of sounding music and it's like a festival and people are sort of in the circle and out of the circle and the bride and groom go in and people join them and then they go back out and it's, it's unbelievable. It's an amazing experience. Uh, one of them, I was in the bridal party of a friend of mine, he's Lebanese, was marrying an Aussie girl and uh, in one part of the ceremony, the husband and the dad picked up the bride on their shoulders and they lifted her up and they're jumping up and down but what they didn't realise is that the air conditioning unit was really low and so they smashed her head into the air conditioning unit and it was so loud that literally everything stopped. I mean, the drummer stopped. Is she alive? Like, is she still, still with us? And then everyone's looking, is she okay? And it's like, yes, she's okay. Back we go, you know, we just start the festival again and just, you know, flush off the blood and keep going. But they're amazing experiences. And as I looked at what was going on at those Lebanese weddings in my reserved Aussie kind of a way, at first I thought it was kind of foolish. But as I started to participate and I looked at the joy on the face of the people there celebrating the significance of the day, it was a moment that I'll never forget. Because they didn't care if they looked foolish. They didn't care what anyone else thought. It was pure joy and celebration. The bride and the groom particularly didn't care about what anybody thought about their foolishness because it wasn't about them. It was about each other. If we are the bride of Christ, and Scripture tells us we are, and worship is all about Jesus, our bridegroom, then how much more should we celebrate him when we gather together, not concerned about what anyone else thinks? If we're going to err on any side here at Follow, let's err on the side of extravagance when it comes to worship. Because worship is not about the people around us. It's done before an audience of one. And as we truly worship him, we will boast and rave and celebrate our king. And I think this song reflects that.
will celebrate, we will boast, we will rave about our God. How great is our God. You can be seated. We will be halal in our worship. Next word is the word yada. This is for my conservative friend in the toilet. It means to revere or to worship with extended hands, to hold out the hands before God in praise. Just recently, there's been an ad on TV called Compare the Pair Superannuation Ad. I've mentioned this before, but there's two people and there's a split screen on the ad. And on one side, you've got a guy uh, who invests. They invest the same amount of money. They're the same age. They invest in two different super companies. And on one side, you've got one guy who invests in one company and the, the money goes up and it kind of caps out at a certain level. But on the other side, you've got the guy with the big smile and he's investing in the right super company. And so his super keeps going up and up and up and they compare the pair. This morning, I thought we could do a bit of a compare the pair scenario for us. And I wonder if we had a compare the pair scenario, but on both split screens, it was just you or it was me. And on one screen, it shows how we respond in a situation of life that brings us joy. But on the other side of the split screen, it's our response to God during worship at church on a weekend. 14 days ago, something big happened in Melbourne. Does anyone know what it is? Grand final. Any Richmond supporters here? Okay, that's enough. Good. <laughs> you would have seen on the news that post-grand final, it was pandemonium in Melbourne. Richmond won the grand final, and so they took over Swan Street, and some supporters were jumping on cars and jumping on roofs and drinking too much. And let's, let's be honest, Tiger supporters are a bit feral. They were burning GWS scarves, and they were just going out of control. You would look at them, and you might say that they were clamorously foolish. But I also watched the game. And during the game, I saw the look of pure passion in the eyes of the supporter. There were tears of joy. They were loud and expressive. And let me tell you something I noticed. That when every time Richmond kicked a goal, what's something they naturally did? They looked so stupid, they didn't care. The first thing they did is to just raise their hands. Yes, we're going to win the flag again. No, I don't know what that feels like, but apparently it feels really good. <laughs> the look on their face and they're going red in the face and they're so excited. And, and they naturally just lift their hands. It was almost like it was an automatic response of praise of the players and celebration of what was achieved. If you're a Richmond supporter here or a sports lover and we saw you celebrating your team win on grand final day and we compared that on the split screen to you worshipping on a Sunday morning, I wonder if it would be more or less when you gather to worship. Because on the Saturday you're like, but what's Sunday look like? It's a bit more like this. This sermon's going a long time. I mean, what's for lunch? I'm not looking at anyone in particular. But if you're feeling convicted, it could just be the Holy Spirit, just saying. Maybe you're not a sports lover. But maybe you love the theatre. So maybe on the Saturday night, you go to the theatre and you see Hugh Jackman, if it's my wife, she's really excited about that because he is like the second best looking guy that ever lived. So she gets really excited. So you go to see Hugh Jackman on the Saturday night and I can just imagine you responding. He's like the, the greatest showman, right? So you'd be singing along. You'd be clapping your hands. You'd be standing at your feet. There'd be a standing ovation. You'd be in awe at what you see. It would have been the same the next day in church. Maybe you'd sing along, but perhaps not with the same level of passion and enthusiasm. Let me tell you, church, the only way that's possible is when we forget who we're worshipping. Because if we remember who we're worshipping and what he's done for us, man, the only appropriate response is passionate worship. Growing up in a Baptist church, I was never a hand lifter. Even after I started attending a more charismatic church for months, I resisted lifting my hands. It was almost like there were bowling balls that were tied to my hands. And even when I wanted to, I, I couldn't or I just wouldn't lift my hands. It was like this stubborn refusal to do it. As I look back, the only things that stopped me were pride and the fear of man. I didn't want to look silly. I'd never done it before. I was too proud to risk what people might think, but I'll never forget the day I first lifted my hands in worship. Let's lift our hands this morning just to prove you can do it. You are Baptist, I know, but you can do it. Awesome. Is there anyone who can't do it? Looking around, let's start praying. There's a few over here, can't lift their hands. Yeah, okay, we're still praying for you. We're not going to stop praying until you lift your hands, right? So, hey, well 
Well done. Awesome. I'll never forget the day I first lifted my hands in worship. After years of weariness of the happy clappers and the hand lifters in that moment, I just knew that I'd crossed the threshold and I'd become one of them. But let me tell you, it was a lot about a lot less about becoming one of them, it was a lot more about surrender. I stepped out of my comfort zone, out of my fear, and for the first time, I cared more about surrender to God than I did about other people's opinions. And without overstating it, it was a moment that changed my life. You may say, no, it's just lifting your hands. No, no, it's not just lifting your hands. It's so much more than that. It's yada worship. It increased my boldness. It changed me in ways I never would have believed. It was a yada moment of worship and praise. I think this song reflects that. You can stay seated as these guys sing. quicker don't stress out we're up to number three zamar zamar means to make music to celebrate in song and music to touch the strings or parts of a musical instrument this is one that i have very little expertise in apart from the air guitar of which i'm a world champion great at drumming on the on the steering wheel as well we could do it later together so i thought the best thing to do is to hand over to a person who's actually incredibly gifted on the guitar and uses that gift as an expression of worship here at Follow. So ladies and gentlemen, Paul Clement.
But what incredible talent that is. And we can easily look at that and go, what a great riff on the bass or what a great guitar solo. But when you bring those gifts and you bring them to glorify God, like these people do week after week after week, it's an expression of Zamar praise and a beautiful one as well. So thank you very much, Paul. The next one is number four is Todar praise. Already got that. It's an extension of the hand. It's thanksgiving, a confession, a sacrifice of praise, thanksgiving for things not yet received. I love that. Thanksgiving for things not yet received. It's a choir of worshippers. I think we'd all agree that there are times when we don't feel like worshipping. Maybe today's one of those days for you. It's been a hard week. Maybe it's a tough time in life. Maybe you haven't seen the answers to prayer that you're believing for yet. Or maybe it's that time in life where you feel distant from God. As a result, we may even choose to stay in bed because we just don't feel like it that particular week. Well, some people say that expressive, charismatic worship is all about emotions. But what about when the feelings and emotions just aren't there? Well, this is where we need Todar praise because it's a type of praise that gives thanksgiving for things not yet received. Last week we talked about faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's being certain of what we don't yet see. This is, Todar is the element of worship that requires that kind of faith. It's worship we give to God when we don't feel like worshipping. It's not driven by emotion, but what I've learned over the years is that when we step out and give this kind of worship, the emotions often follow. You see, it's the days I most least feel like coming to church, the days I least feel like preaching, the days I least feel like worshipping, but we step out and worship, are often the days you leave most encouraged and uplifted because that's the power of praise. That's towed our praise to worship God before you see the answer to prayer. It's to worship God despite how you feel. It's to step out and worship Him because He's worthy of our worship regardless of what we're going through. That's why it's a sacrifice of praise. It takes a sacrifice. If you're going through a crisis, if you're scared, if you're feeling flat, if you're lacking faith, then offer a towed our sacrifice of praise this morning. Remind yourself of who God is. And prepare your heart for what he wants to do. And do it by faith. Psalm 56, 11 and 12 says, In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O my God. I will render praises to you. We've done a new song lately at church. I think it's a really powerful declaration of Todar praise. It's called Waymaker and these guys are going to sing a couple of bars for us this morning. declaration of who God is. No matter how we feel, no matter what we're going through, He's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a light in the darkness. He's a promise keeper. That's 
the kind of praise we're talking about. That's Toda praise, to step out and to praise him even before we see the answer to prayer. The next one is the word Barak. Now, April and VJ are here this morning. Where are they? There they are. Wonderful couple in the life of our church. They've got two sons. One's called Barak and one's called Shabak. And they're two of the words we're looking at today. And they both translate as praise. What a great thing to call your kids. Praise. Barak praise is to kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration, to praise, to salute, and to thank Barak is a more reflective type of praise. If you're an introvert, you might think this is a style of worship that you're more comfortable with, and that may be true. But I want to encourage you this morning, even if you are introverted, you can still give God halal praise, the clamorously foolish, expressive kind of praise. And if you're an extrovert, you can still learn to love Barak praise, where you stop. Maybe you're one of those hyperactive people and you've just got to be going, going, going. Maybe today you need to stretch and start to praise Him with Barak praise, where you stop and you pause and you reflect on the goodness of God in the quietness, in the stillness of your heart. That is Barak praise. Because praise is not about your personality, it's about who God is. As we fix our eyes on Him, our personality and the opinions of people start to matter less. Scholars of the original Hebrew give more depth to this particular word. They believe in the original context that it means more than simply bowing down, but instead to bow low while keeping your eyes fixed on the King. What a beautiful expression of worship that is. That as we come to worship Him, we fix our eyes on the King. To Barak is to be transfixed on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who gave his life for us, is to give him Barak praise. This song reflects that. I will look up for there is none above you. I will bow down to show you that I need you, Jesus, Lord of all, Jesus, Lord of all. I will look back and see that you are faithful. I look ahead, believing you are Number six is Tehillah Praise, a song of praise, a new song, a spontaneous song. Psalm 22 verse 3 says, But you are holy, enthroned on the praises, the Tehillah, the spontaneous song of Israel, your people. I have some Christian songwriter friends and they were telling me recently that the very best songs they've written have risen up in times of spontaneous praise times when they've gathered together to jam and to worship God. Often songs just come as a spirit moves in their midst. And whether you're a muso or not, we can find ourselves in those moments of spontaneous praise. And I know it's possible because I see it with my own kids. There are times when I am with my kids and as I fix my eyes on them and think about how blessed I am, spontaneous words of appreciation and love just flow from my lips. If I can do it with my kids, how much easier should it be when I do it for my God? As we engage in worship together and fix our eyes on the King and start to lift our praises to Him, it's often in those times that He gives us a new song and a new understanding of who He is. That is Tehillah praise. And Paul's going to help us with this this morning. Yeah, so why don't we stand? This is scary. I'm just going to sing a line and I want you just to repeat the line for me. Okay? So just repeat everything I do. And it's all going to be spontaneous, so we we'll see where it takes us. Your name is higher. Let's sing that. Ready? Your name is higher. again. Your name is higher. Your name is higher 
is above all others. Your name is above all others. Your name is higher. Is above all other. Your name is above all other. Your name is Jesus. Your name is Jesus. recorded it, so we're going to release it this afternoon. Thanks for helping out with a spontaneous song. That's wonderful. The last song is Shabak. This is April and Vijay's other son. Um, is Barak quieter and Shabak louder? Excellent. Well, it was prophetic naming of your children. It's wonderful. Because Shabak is to address in a loud tone. It's to shout glory and triumph. It's to unite together in praise. Psalm 145 Verse 4 says, One generation shall praise Shabak your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I've been to see Coldplay in concert four times. And they were amazing every time. But the last time I went, there was a really powerful moment in one of the songs. One of the most well-known songs they sung, there was a moment where the music stopped. Everything stopped except the voices. And the voices lifted, and the crowd in one voice sung the chorus together, and it was an incredible moment. I looked at my brother next to me, and he was singing with all of his heart. It was a moment that brought tears to our eyes, and it seems crazy because it was a secular concert, but we were united in this moment together with thousands of other people in this stadium, thousands of people in one voice. And the reason I think it was so powerful is that we are created to praise. And for me, it was a little glimpse of what heaven will be like as together we lift our voices to the King. On that day, there will be a multitude of the redeemed so large that it's beyond number, with every voice and every heart lifted in praise to God, singing songs of triumph and gratitude for who God is and all that He has done, to be completely set free in the presence of God forever to worship Him will be truly beyond our comprehension. I'll tell you what will happen in that moment. We won't care what anyone else thinks because we will be transfixed on the beauty and the majesty of Christ our King. The song about Millard reflects this moment so well in his song, I can only imagine. He says, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance before you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still?
Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. From Scripture we can confidently say that it will include all of those things. Can you imagine that moment where all these redeemed people from every generation, from every tribe and tongue and nation on earth, come together confessing with their mouths that Jesus is Lord. I can only imagine it will be a holy roar as his people sing together in one voice. Do you long for that moment? I long for that moment. We have that opportunity every time we gather together to participate in this kind of worship as a foretaste of what we will enjoy forever in eternity in the presence of our King. I'm going to do that together in a moment to finish this service, but I want to finish with a quote from C.S. Lewis, which I think is incredibly powerful. He says, The most obvious fact about praise strangely escaped me. I'd never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favourite game, the praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare books, even sometimes politicians and scholars, but not in Australia. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it's expressed. In other words, worship is the consummation of joy. Our joy is not complete until it is expressed in worship. What a wonderful quote that is from a very brilliant man. The follow worship is one of our values. And it should never be one style above others, but it will cause us to stretch out of the comfort zone as we worship him. For some of you, that stretch might be lifting your hands for the first time and cutting off those bowling balls from the end of them. For others, it may be singing out with a loud voice and being expressive in your praise. For others, it might be using your instrument to worship God. And for some, it might be learning just to be still, to bow your head in reverence, to remind yourself of who God is. Whatever it is, I think God wants us to be people who extravagantly express our worship with Halal, Yadak, Zama, Toda, Barak, Tehillah and Shabak kind of praise. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless. God bless.